Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. There are some that think there are lots of vaccine just sitting around in freezers. The opening of mass vaccination clinics are being delayed. We find out why. How much trust do you have in COVID-19 vaccines? It's all coming up. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Easter weekend is on the way, reminding us it's been a year of losing holidays. And those of big sloppy kisses from relatives you don't know. There's always a bright side. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson! Good afternoon. It is 1210. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. Feel free to jump into the fun. Love to hear from you. Uh, lots of ways to do that via the website. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. You know, it amazes me. Uh, here's a, uh, here's, Will forwarded this to me and it's on Twitter. It says, we should get, uh, hashtag check the freezer dug trending. You know, we've explained supply chain management over and over and over again. Uh, they've also booked secondary appointments, which they're holding vaccine back for because they don't want to have to cancel those appointments again. And yet we get conspiracy theorists. Like, it's bizarre. Conspiracy theorists saying that they think Doug Ford is sitting on all of these vaccines. And, and what would that reason be? Why would you want to do that? As meanwhile, a giant mass vaccination clinic at Canada's Wonderland, which should be running all uh, long weekend, is not because there's not enough to coming in to keep the supply chain going. So, you know, again, you know, you just don't go to a pile of rocks and start throw the, throwing them out at people and say, here's your stones. You know, there's a supply chain here. It comes in, it fills a shelf. People go grab it from the shelf and put it back out. If at any time that shelf is empty, the supply chain comes to a grinding halt, as we're seeing with Canada's Wonderland. So what do you do? Spend time phoning thousands of people back to cancel the appointments that they've already made? I mean, it's just insane. Check the freezer, Doug. Check to see if the world is flat. You know, it, it, we become such a world of extremes. It's such about beating the other side or beating the other team that we get this sort of conspiracy theories. I mean, it's like living in the United States. All right, let's get a local update on all of this. Bring in Paul Johnson, Director of Emergency Center, City of Hamilton. He is with us now. Paul, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Great. Good to be with you, Scott. I am doing well. Thanks. I don't want to get political, Paul, because I know that's exactly where you do not want to go. But are there lots of vaccines sitting in freezers? Uh, no, they're not. And, 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 you know, at certain points in the week, there are lots sitting there because that's what we need to complete the vaccines that we have throughout the week. So we've heard this locally, too. And people say, oh, you have, you have thousands of, uh, of vaccines in the freezer. And on a Tuesday, like, uh, you know, yesterday and heading in today, the answer is absolutely yes. That is so that we can vaccinate the over 3,000 people that come each day to our vaccine clinics. That number will then dwindle down to next to nothing. And then next week on Tuesday, 
uh, public health will receive the next batch of vaccine and we will start over again. So on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, yes, there's thousands of doses of vaccines in the freezers and fridges, and that is a good thing because that means that we can accommodate all of the bookings we have for that week. Vaccine doesn't get delivered on a uh, morning and afternoon basis each day. It comes in in, in weekly uh, allotments. And, and so I think that, you know, that's the, the piece that's, uh, you know, a bit frustrating sometimes. People say, we well, got lots in the freezer. Well, yeah, you would want us to have lots in the freezer. Uh, that means that we can uh, accommodate all those who have booked for the week. And that's exactly what we're doing in Hamilton. And I would assume it's exactly what's happening in other public health units. And I can tell you, looking at the numbers, we, we dwindle that down to next to nothing each week. And then uh, we're, we're given our, our allocations on a weekly basis and we match the, uh, the amount of bookings that we can do to those allocations. And that's why uh, supply is the, the, the key to all of this. We need more supply. Uh, we just announced this morning, uh, Dr. Richardson did, that we'll have to delay the opening of our fourth large mass vaccination site. So it's not something we're closing down because it hasn't opened yet, but at Rosedale, because we, we just don't need it yet. We're not getting enough in. Uh, our, our current sites are not uh, operating at uh, mass capacity because uh, there isn't enough vaccine. So um, that being said, where does this leave First Ontario Centre? What's it doing over the holidays? It continues to vaccinate every day. And although not working at uh, its its ultimate level that it can, uh, up to 3,000 vaccines a day, we'll still have uh, hundreds of, of folks being vaccinated through that site. Uh, the St. Joe's uh, site on the mountain will be operational in Hamilton Health Sciences, as well as some pop-up clinics that are happening uh, throughout the Easter weekend as well. So the vaccination program uh, is not one of those programs that operates on a, uh, it's a stat holiday, it's a day off type of thing. Uh, it's too important that we vaccinate people each and every day. And we're doing that to the best of our ability, given the supply that we have. Uh, so that will continue to roll on and, and First Ontario is operating very smoothly. I just wish I could see the numbers uh, being at the level that we had planned for uh, happening more quickly. But that's uh, that's something that's not going to occur for a few weeks because, again, one of those ups and downs you talked about is uh, a reduction in the amount of Moderna vaccine that's coming into to communities. And, and again, that's a, a, a decision that's been made by the company. It's uh, It's frustrating for all of us, but... These are the things that we're going to go through as we work through the vaccine rollup. Where does this information come from, do you think? Where does the, do the conspiracy theories come from that people start reporting their stuff in vaccine, uh, vaccines sitting in freezers? You know, you're talking about the Rosedale Clinic has been delayed because of lack of supply. Um, another analogy to even simplify it even more on what you said about uh vaccine supply in fridges it's very similar to if once a week you go to a grocery store to buy your your weekly groceries you might go on a saturday so saturday night and sunday the fridges jam but by the following thursday and friday things are getting pretty thin again is that like how can we simplify this analogy any more than that well i think uh, you know you've, you've done it this is when you think about the logistics of this and one of the Key things because I, I guess we've never really said it is we don't get these sort of hour by hour deliveries of vaccines. They they come in and uh, in in uh, deliveries that then keep us going for a number of days. Uh, in most cases, for a full week. So you're right. It is like any other inventory system. You you know your inventory for the week and and then uh, you hope like heck all your individuals don't come in one day and then blow your inventory. And of course, the way we handle that is. 
we do bookings based on the amount of supply. So we keep uh, clinics going each and every day to provide choice for people uh, who may not be able to come on one single day. And also to, um, you know, but that uses up the vaccine. So we start at a, at a higher number. We go down by the end of the week to, um, you know, basically a break even. And then, uh, and then we start over again in the weeks to come. And over the weeks, our hope is that that number that we start with grows larger. That means we'll have more bookings available for folks. And it, and it goes like that. So, you know, early on, there were some booking glitches. There were some days where we were rather underbooked. But the reality is we just catch up on that very quickly in the, in the next day. So none of that, if we had a day where uh, we had some challenges with getting people booked in. It doesn't mean that we put that away and then say, oh, we won't ever use that again. Uh, it just goes into the calculation, Scott, and then we roll that out by allowing more bookings uh, in, in the coming days. So it is a, a logistical exercise here. I suppose, you know, not everybody's part of that logistical conversation, but it's as simple as that uh, description for the community. Uh, we get lots to start our, our weekly run, and then we, of course, book people in so that we can give it out as best as we can. Um, what is Hamilton putting into arms? Is it Pfizer? Is it Moderna? Is it AstraZeneca? We all know the confusion around AstraZeneca. Where does that uh, drug fit into your supply? So all three vaccines are are in our community in terms of the mass vaccination sites, uh, uh, whether it's through the hospitals uh, or at First Ontario. Those are Moderna and Pfizer uh, locations for that. And then, of course, Hamilton has been part of a pilot uh, with uh, with family physicians to deliver some of the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. And we're, of course, uh, very interested in uh, are hoping that uh, the province will expand their pharmacy program to Hamilton, which would, again, uh, our understanding be the AstraZeneca vaccine. So all three are, are in the community uh, right now and being used by different folks. But if people are coming and booking it to the mass vaccination sites, those are, are Pfizer or Moderna. So have you heard anything, Paul, in regard to reluctance around the AstraZeneca uh, from these family physicians that are involved in the project? Um, yes, we, we've certainly heard that, and there are questions, and we encourage people. We have, uh, you know, links to information on our website to find out the information that's there. Uh, we understand whenever there's reports out of people pausing the use, or now there's guidance around which age uh, ranges, uh, you know, the, the vaccine is for, that people will naturally say, well, wait a second, is, is this something I should be concerned about? And I think the bottom line is that what we've heard from Dr. Richardson, what we've heard from uh, people across the country is that the vaccine is safe. Uh, they are continuing to look at data and, and evidence to make sure that as this is rolled out to millions of people across the globe, that uh, any information that would cause uh, some some additional uh a piece of guidance to be provided is provided to the public, a very transparent process of that. So I understand the hesitancy uh, that, that people may see by reading uh, media reports. Uh, the goal, I think, in this case is talk to healthcare providers, get good information, uh, and, and therefore think through in your own mind how you can satisfy yourself. Uh, again, these are safe vaccines. Uh, the guidance that's, ha- that's coming out is just helping to make sure that uh, we utilize them in the best possible way in these early stages of the vaccine rollout. 
All right, Paul, we're hearing that uh, tomorrow the Premier uh, is going to make an announcement about moving forward with uh, where we are. We're certainly hearing other provinces locking down and restrictions such. Uh, Any news you can tell us there on what direction we're heading in? Uh, Sure answer is we don't know. Uh, Longer answer is that uh, obviously there's concern across uh, parts of the province that uh, that hospitalizations are up, uh, the uh, those in intensive care, uh, those numbers are up, and uh, the strain on the healthcare resources is always one of the primary uh, discussions that's had about what kind of restrictive measures need to be put into place. And, and quite frankly, locally, we've we've always been calling through uh, Dr. Richardson and her team uh, for more of a regional approach, uh, the city by city approach probably will have limited impact. Uh, What we need is to discuss these things regionally. And that's the simple reason that people move around. We're a highly mobile uh, area in the the greater Toronto and Hamilton area. So I think there needs to be that consideration exactly where it's going. I know that that will be the cause of much conversation, but you only need to look at, at where we've gone in Hamilton. We are now, as of yesterday, if you look at our case uh, per 100,000 uh, over the last seven days. We're at 131 per 100,000. And that's very close to where we were uh, when, when we all started to get into that serious lockdown over the, the holidays uh, late last year. So the trending is not good. And as you've, we've just had a conversation about, unfortunately, the vaccine is not rolling out fast enough that we can say, well, you know what, we're only a week or two away from having uh, you know, a massive amount of people vaccinated, which will which will naturally sort of calm some of this down. We're in a position where we have to protect healthcare resources, and I expect that's the conversation that's happening um, today, and then obviously will happen at cabinet tomorrow. All right, message to uh, the greater Hamilton area right now, Paul. As we wait for all of this and uh, halfway through the week, what are your what are your what's your message to us? Messages: Remember, we're in the gray lockdown category. And that means that uh, wherever possible, stay at home, stay close to home. Uh, obviously, getting out to do those essential things, which do include exercise outside. But, there, you know, it's a remembrance as we come into a long weekend and uh, a weekend of, uh, of um, a particular importance in certain faith communities that uh, this is not the time to be gathering with, uh, with family or friends, except for those who you live with. And we are right back into those categories. We have to do a better job of stopping the spread of this virus. And that will uh, come from people uh, choosing to be less mobile, doing fewer things in the community. And when they do go out and do things, make sure that they're doing them uh, exceedingly safe. Wear a mask, keep your distance, wash your hands. uh, Do not go out if you're feeling unwell. Paul Johnson with us, Director of the Emergency Center for the City of Hamilton. Paul, as always, thanks so much for the time. Good luck. Thanks, Scott. Take care. Be well. Travis Danraj, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. He's with us now. Travis, thanks for the time. So where do the rumors come from and the credibility that governments are sitting on piles of vaccine in a freezer? Well, I mean, I think it comes from, you know, folks going to their local shoppers, drug mart or what have you, and then them saying that they're they're out of supply. Um in some respects, that's that's good because it shows that you know a, a lot of these doses are going into arms. And we even saw last weekend that you know there are some Toronto hospitals that were creating standby lists because the situation that nobody wants is that you know there are vaccines that are uh, you know opened and then they are wasted and mm-hmm. that don't go into arms or expire. And, and so there are you know a number of measures that the province and, and you know local public health units and hospitals are taking 
so that that does not happen, so that they can call somebody, you know, if they, they have opened a, a couple of vials that are within, you know, 30 minutes, 20 minutes of getting to the, the, the clinic. And, you know, yesterday the province did release um, you know, their allocations, and they released kind of a spreadsheet in terms of what they are getting from the federal government and the status of these, uh, you know, vaccines from Pfizer, from Moderna, and AstraZeneca. Uh, you know, I think it was 200, over 200,000 doses of Moderna that are expected uh, next week, uh, April 7th. There are, on March 9th, uh, 194,000 doses expected federally, and then that will be allocated to the province as well. So, you know, the supply is coming in. It's just I think that there are various opinions on the distribution plan um, that you're hearing from from everybody. Every, you know, it's everybody's a, a critic. There are a lot of people <laughs> that right now. Again, uh, dealing with conspiracy theorists who uh, are believing that uh, governments are sitting on mass amounts of vaccination, uh, specifically the Ontario government sitting on mass amounts of vaccinations uh, that are sitting in freezers. Uh, Meanwhile, (laughs) uh, Mayor Fred said they have to delay the opening of mass vaccination clinics, the one in Rosedale, for example, because they simply do not have the supply. Although we have made uh, some significant progress in vaccinating the eligible population, the current vaccination supply does not allow an expansion to the program in the same way that some of our neighboring municipalities are able to. So I want to make it clear that our current vaccine supply is dwindling. Paul Johnson at the emergency table echoed the same thing, yet we have people saying, check the freezer, Doug. Like, it's amazing the conspiracy theorists and and people that think the world is flat and for somehow this is a distribution issue. It has always been a supply issue. Uh, Let's keep going and and see where we get. Bring in Dr. Joel Lexgen, Professor Emeritus with the School of Health Policy Management and Faculty of Health at York University, former consultant to the federal government and World Health Organization, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. I've been vaccinated. (laughs) <laughs> Which one did you get? Well, I work, in addition to having taught at York University, I still work as an emergency department doctor in Toronto. Um, so we got the Pfizer vaccine because at that point that was the only one that was available. All right, let's start with, Doctor, your thoughts on the announcement this morning about a new facility being built uh uh, in Ontario, in Toronto, uh, to produce a uh, vaccine uh, and will be finished by 2026. Your thoughts on this new announcement? Um, it's a good step. I would give it full marks um, because, first of all, there um, there's stuff that we don't know yet. So, for instance, this is going to be run by and owned by Sanofi, so is the government got a contract with Sanofi that this plant is going to be kept open um, for 20, 30, 40 years, or is Sanofi going to be able to sell the plant at some point? Um, if there's a future pandemic and we can be sure that there's going to be one at some point, is the plant going to be able to switch um, from what it, it was currently producing to a vaccine for the new pandemic? Um, we don't know that. Um, is the government going to have any control over how much the vaccine is going to cost? We don't know that. So there are a lot of unknowns. The other part that um, I would that I think is a problem 
is that this is still going to be controlled by a company that is based outside of Canada. So right now, Sanofi mm. already has a vaccine manufacturing facility in northern Toronto. It um, makes diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, polio vaccines. It didn't offer to um, switch to making to try making one of the um, COVID-19 vaccines. GlaxoSmithKline has a plant in Saint-Foy, Quebec. It makes flu vaccines. It didn't offer to switch to making a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, so I think that the government would have been better off using the money that it's investing and setting up a crown corporation, in other words, a government-owned manufacturing facility, so that profit motives would not be con- taken into consideration in terms of what should be being produced, and that if the government decided it was in the best interest of public health to make something else, that it could do that. It wouldn't be relying on what a foreign-owned corporation wants to do. Why not make it a Canadian-owned corporation then? I mean, at the end of the day, governments make it uh, in, you know, feasible for these companies to be here and, and produce this stuff. If not, they go other places. So why not just do the same thing but with an, a Canadian investment? You'd have to ask the government what yeah. their negotiations were. Um, that's part of the problem. We've already seen that with respect to um, the contracts that the government has with vaccine makers, um, those are being kept secret because uh, they're considered commercially confidential. We don't know what the terms are of the contracts that Canada has with Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson and Johnson, AstraZeneca, and similarly, um, we don't know what went into the negotiations that the government's um, done with Sanofi. So uh, getting back to the facility itself, and you brought this up, I mean, um, as well, uh, we do have the capability to produce vaccine here, uh, but for some reason we're unable to produce a vaccine that would that would combat COVID-19. Um, we're also hearing that this facility, uh, this is more about uh, an influenza pandemic and not necessarily a COVID-19 Type pandemic. So again, are we building a plant with older technology as opposed to with the new technology that Pfizer and Moderna use? Well, I don't know what the technology is going to be, um, but even if we're using older technology, you can still switch um, to producing different kinds of vaccines. You may not be able to produce the mRNA ones, um, but certainly you can produce the. Um, the one that AstraZeneca has that's using an older technology and the AstraZeneca vaccine seems aside from these very rare side effects seems to be um, just as good as the Pfizer and Moderna ones. Um, What the technology in this new plant is going to be able to do or not do. um, Let's see the contract. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, why, you know, again, um, why not start with a, uh, a Moderna or a Pfizer type of product instead of building something that you have to switch over? Well, we don't know what we're going to need. You're right. right. I mean, the, um, the mRNA um, vaccine manufacturing can produce different kinds of vaccines for different diseases. 
Um, and maybe that's what Sanofi, the Sanofi plant is going to be doing. Um, but right now, um, I just heard your, um, your news that um, we're talking about um, making policy by press releases. And that's all we're going on right now is a press yeah. release. Good point. All right. So that being said, uh, obviously, AstraZeneca has taken a hit. Is you know, I mean, the, the the policy has changed three times here in Canada. We have two federal government agencies both saying something different about this uh, this vaccine, which to me is you know, my goodness, I understand they're two independent bodies and we need that. That's a good thing. But you'd think they could somehow coordinate their messaging uh, to, instead of creating mass confusion. Where does this leave AstraZeneca? It's, well, as a company, I think it leaves it vulnerable um, in terms of how much of the vaccine it's going to be able to sell. In terms of the vaccine itself, um, I think that for people over 55, this is a, if you offered the choice of getting the AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca vaccine, go for it. My wife, um, who is a retired general practitioner, got one of the, got an AstraZeneca vaccine last week. Um, she didn't have any hesitation about getting it. So I think that um, the vaccine itself seems to be um, good. Um, the risks that have been identified are primarily in younger women. Um, so um, despite all the mixed messaging, if that was what I was being offered, I would take it. So at the end of the day, uh, and again, I'm not going to reiterate all the mixed messaging because that will just confuse people even more, but who should get the AstraZeneca vaccine? Because, you know, we're saying now uh, suspending use to those under 55 uh, but there's a couple of provinces that are saying 60 and 65, as there are European countries. So uh, why 55? Why are some saying 60, some saying 65? Um, that's because this is not an exact science. Yeah. By saying 55, we're not saying that if you're 55 and a day, that there's no chance of you having this, um, si this rare side effect. So some countries are saying, well, if it could happen in people over 55, let's make it five years higher and reduce even that small risk. Um, these are decisions that um, are made with some science behind them, but also um, they're also made based on what they think is going to be acceptable to the public that is going to be receiving the vaccines. Uh, 1.5 million doses uh, from America trucked up uh, from Michigan of AstraZeneca arriving this week. Uh, where does that sit in in the chain of command? Uh, where does that sit in the supply chain, rather, as to being used? Uh, we understand that that still hasn't had approval from uh, health regulators here. So what happens to that AstraZeneca vaccine? Who gets that? Um, well, at this point, nobody will get it because the although because the manufacturing plant hasn't um, been approved by Health Canada. So, in order to get a product um, approved in Canada, it's not just the product itself that you're looking at; it's also how it's being made. Um, so, we approved the AstraZeneca vaccine made in Europe. 
Um, we haven't approved the one made in the United States. I don't expect that it'll take Health Canada too long to um, approve the manufactured facility. But until it does, unfortunately, those vaccines won't be used. Uh, any idea how long that would take? Because, um, you know, the first question would be, why take a shipment of something that hasn't been approved? Uh, or does that just mean the approval is, is, is forthcoming? I think that the approval will come very quickly. If I was um, the Prime Minister or the Minister of Health, I would be on the phone to Health Canada saying, um, get this thing done as quickly as you can. Don't compromise your standards. Um, but if you're doing other things, put them aside and approve the um, manufacturing facility. Uh, we have certainly, um, you know, seen the struggles that provinces are going through trying to get uh, people vaccine, uh, vaccinated rather, and there's, um, you know, been interruptions in shipments and such. Uh, yet every day it seems we hear that more are on the way and that something that was coming in September is now coming in uh, earlier and, you know, so much by the end of May and so much by the end of uh, April and such. Uh, and so, so that's coming up from the messaging coming up from the federal government. Yet others are saying we're all sitting on, the provinces are sitting on, especially Ontario, vaccinations uh, that are in freezers. We've heard from the mayor of Hamilton. We've heard of Paul Johnson from Paul Johnson from the emergency table. Uh, they're not able to open up. They're delaying opening up mass vaccination clinics because of of uh, lack of supply. We use the analogy, you know, you buy food on a Saturday uh, for your weekly grocery shopping. There's lots in the fridge for Saturday and Sunday. And then as the rest of the week comes along, it slowly diminishes. And by Friday, it's empty. And that's why you go shopping again. What are your thoughts on those saying that there's mass amounts of vaccine sitting in freezers somewhere? Unfortunately, I think that, again, as your news report was saying, this is just um, part of the conspiracy theory. You know, we've heard multiple conspiracy theories. Um, hospital COVID-19 doesn't exist. Um, the vaccine is a, is, um, an attempt by Bill Gates to inject microchips into people <laughs> so that he can control everybody in the world. Um, and the idea that there are vaccines sitting in freezers um, waiting to be used um, is uh, just another conspiracy theory. Um, and I strongly urge people to go to reliable sources of information um, about what is or is not available. Any message for us now as we head into another long weekend? We remember uh, the precautions that were that were uh, uh, announced before every major holiday. Always a concern about two weeks after. What's your message heading into another holiday weekend? My message is celebrate the holiday with people in your family that you live with. Um, if you want to see your friends, see them outside at six feet away. Um, have a glass of wine with them if you want, um, but stay safe. Keep The vaccines aren't going to save us um, at this point. Um, what's going to save us is strong public health measures. So, for instance, um, in Brisbane, Australia, they discovered seven new cases, and they went into a three-day severe lockdown because of those seven cases. Um, so we need to take those same kind of measures 
to keep everybody safe. Dr. Joel Lexkin has been with us, Professor Emeritus School of Health and Policy Management, Faculty of Health at York University, and former consultant to the federal government and World Health Organization. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you very much. You too. Boy, oh boy, there you go. Uh, another uh, physician, uh, the mayor, uh, the, the head of the health table, all the stuff about the the vaccine sitting in freezers is just conspiracy theory. It's just BS. Uh, and again, uh, sorry, but this falls on the federal government, not on the provinces. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people out there having a hard time digesting that information, therefore are just making crap up. Like, there's all this stuff sitting in the freezer. Well, we're delaying the opening of max vaccination clinics like the one up in Rosedale or the one at Canada's Wonderland. I don't get you people. Not all of you, just some of you. It's, I'm sure you don't get me either, but I'm happy you're listening. Now it's time for my opinion. Here's the commentary. It is true Dr. Bonnie Henry of British Columbia epitomizes great bedside manner. But when it comes to making leadership decisions, is that the right direction to go in? Many on the extreme left will say yes, let the doctors speak, not the political leaders we have elected. However, when you dig deeper into BC's world, it can often sound wackier than their Alberta neighbors next door. Just this week, British Columbia, while walking down, has finally made it mandatory for school kids grade 4 to 12 to wear masks. Up until now, Dr. Henry has rejected masks for students, saying it could create a bullying-type situation for those who can't for medical reasons. What? Ontario schools have been masking every grade since last September. The one thing that has resonated this past year through this global pandemic is masking is one of the most effective ways of stopping transmission of this deadly virus. But not for Dr. Henry's classrooms. Until now. This pressure from parents and teachers unions who have been begging for stricter rules on masking for staff and students, and rightly so, since COVID-19 started proving once again how different life is out west because schools without masks would never fly in Ontario. I'm Scott Thompson. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's talk about your level of trust for this vaccine. Uh, Leger has a new poll out. Let's bring in Dave Schultz, executive vice president of Leger, and is with us now. Dave, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. I hope you're well as all also, Scott. Well, you know, just trying to keep everything on the up and up here. Man, it's, it's, it's amazing how the information is confusing enough. Then we bring the politics in. And, you know, people are so busy defending their political parties that we're missing the point here. I guess that's just normal politics. Well, it's normal politics in an, in an abnormal situation. Yeah. Because here, here's something that, you know, I'd like to say everyone wants, but not everyone wants to get a vaccine. But it's, uh, it's something that people are coveting to a certain degree. And um, it's changed all the landscape for us. All right, let's talk about uh, the levels of trust. We've certainly seen AstraZeneca. The, the, uh, the messaging has changed, I believe, three times on this. 
Um, and I think what I find most disturbing about this is that we have two uh, government agencies, two federal government agencies, NACI and Health Canada, who are giving conflicting information. And I understand they're totally independent bodies and do independent work, and that's great. But their messaging alone has literally uh, added to this massive mistrust of this vaccine. Uh, let's talk about how Canadians feel, not only about the vaccine, but the different types of vaccine. Yeah, so AstraZeneca's vaccine, it's 53% of Canadians say they trust that vaccine, which is very low compared to Pfizer, which is at the top of the list, at 82%. And, and you're right, the, the messaging has been all over the map. And if we want to look at misinformation and disinformation and uh, people who use this uh, messaging from AstraZeneca and the government and different pieces against getting vaccines, this is not a good scenario. Yeah. So I found interesting in this, and it's, you know, levels of trust for COVID-19 vaccines, according to Canadians and Americans. Uh, Pfizer sitting at uh, 82% for Canadians. Moderna sitting at 77%. Uh, Johnson & Johnson sitting at 69%. Pfizer at 53. My first question is, Johnson and, sorry, AstraZeneca. Uh, Johnson & Johnson hasn't even been delivered here. Um, I'm not sure if it's, if, it's, if it's been totally approved here uh, coming in. So it's interesting that AstraZeneca is here, yet we trust Johnson & Johnson before it's even used here. Well, we just actually rolled out our corporate reputation study with Leger as well. Johnson & Johnson has always done well. It's a recognized brand yeah. name. So they're coming in with a fair bit of trust before they even start talking about vaccines. Um, what's interesting, in January, we did the research for that one, and Pfizer and AstraZeneca um, showed significant increases year over year. I have to go back into field and ask, you know, when we look at the new numbers here, AstraZeneca, again, that all their drop has been in the last two months. Yeah. But you bring up a valid point, and I never thought of that. Um, you know, and people say this about brands like Shoppers Drug Mart. The Johnson & Johnson brand is, is something that's been in North America for such a long period of time and trusted from everything from this sort of thing right down to baby shampoo. Uh, that does go a long way, obviously. It does. And when I've worked with pharmaceutical companies in the past, and there's been some question of why do we have to think about our reputation? It's, it's our product that we care about. Uh, corporate reputation goes a long ways in events like this. It makes us, as you can tell, open to Johnson & Johnson before we even know very much about the product. So where, you know, unfortunately, and, and, and let's be honest, I mean, uh, AstraZeneca has uh, been used in the UK. It is their workhorse. Uh, there is still very uh, limited information about the, the the problems that they're having with it, and and these restrictions are, are being put in place uh, out of an abundance of caution. Uh, you'll still find it hard to find a, a medical official that will say the benefits that doesn't say the benefits certainly far outweigh um, the negative aspects of AstraZeneca. That being said, tell us specifically about this vaccination. How our attitudes have changed, and can you put this genie back in the bottle? You know, I think you can. Um, if you look at back in October, when we first started asking people if they would get vaccinated, we were at 63% of Canadians who said they would get vaccinated for this. That number has changed. Uh, it's been increasing every week since. We're currently at 78% now. And, and I don't expect that's 1% more than last week. And I expect that number to continue to go up. 
The other number that I find interesting is we've been asking people, are you going to get the first drug available? And I think that's part of the message that public health has been saying is take what's available, get vaccinated when you can, regardless of efficacy rate, and you can come back you know, in another year and decide what you want then. But right now, if you're given AstraZeneca or Pfizer or Moderna, take it. Um, and that number is at 58% of Canadians willing to accept whatever they're given. A week, few weeks back, that was at 53%. So we're starting to see people buy into that message. So even though I may not necessarily trust AstraZeneca at this time, Canadians are still going to line up for it as well, is what this research is showing me. It's interesting. We're seeing that as they go down the list of age groups, starting with the most vulnerable and the, the elderly, and then slowly moving down, that was the initial plan. Obviously, there's some hesitancy now, especially around AstraZeneca. Uh, can you see that, you know, keeping the age restrictions for Pfizer and Moderna, uh, but my guess is you're going to see uh, provinces, municipalities just open up AstraZeneca to uh, for those that are course qualify and it's safe to do so. Uh, Health Canada is still saying it's it's safe for those uh, uh, that are over 55 plus. Um, opening that up to just anybody who wants it. I, I you know again we didn't talk about actual how the process goes, mm-hmm. but from what we've seen so far. Keeping it within age restrictions as we start to go lower seems to be a good approach, uh, only because there's this expectation of uh, still the older you are, the more you need it. I think maybe when we get around 40, we'll see what public health does then, and maybe they open up to a broader. But I do still think we'll see this five-year progression uh, over the next little while. So uh, the thing that's great about th- this uh, th- these uh, this set of numbers is that you've got both Canadians and Americans uh, on it. Obviously, when it comes to levels of trust for COVID-19 vaccines, I guess I shouldn't say obviously, uh, Canadians are pretty much ahead of the Americans. Uh, levels of trust in vaccine for Canadians, for example, Pfizer 82, Moderna 77, Johnson & Johnson 69%. Uh, AstraZeneca 53%, that's Canadians. Uh, Americans, on the other hand, 63% for Pfizer, 58% for Moderna, 58% for Johnson & Johnson, 37% for AstraZeneca. They seem to be, with the exception of AstraZeneca, sitting around the 60% mark, whereas Canada seems to be hovering around 70, 75% mark. It, 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 there's always been a little higher percentage of uh, anti-vaccination discourse and results from our research in the U.S. Um, It also, you have to look at the perception of where the population is at. You know, tomorrow afternoon, if you tune into the Blue Jays game, you'll see it coming from Dallas with a fairly packed house, from what I understand is going to happen. Life as normal seems to be more back to normal in the U.S., whereas here we've seen it's predicated upon us getting the vaccine that we can get back to normal. So a little different perspective coming in on this. So partly it's higher anti-vaxxer, partly it's also the situation Americans are in. There isn't feel an urgency for it. Do you also think the reason for the low numbers for, for AstraZeneca in the U.S. is simply because it's not approved there yet? It's not really, it's not being used. It, it's part of that, but all the news stories we've been hearing, it's, it's international news. And the Americans have yeah. been getting the same stories that we've been getting. So where do you, you know, if vaccine starts to come in 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 mass quantities and we start to see these mass 
uh, immunization clinics opening up and such, how much hesitancy do you think there'll be? Uh, you know, at the beginning of this discussion, it was, well, you know, what, do we get to choose which one we want? No, 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 no. You get the first one. You get the, well, you get the first one that's offered to you. Well, now that discussion's completely changed. I, it's, I think as we see it go on, we're going to see more and more people willing to get vaccinated with, with whatever is available. Yeah. Um, you know, as I say, in the last, you know, October, we were at 63% of people willing to get vaccinated. Beginning of February, it was at 70%. Now we're at 78%. And uh, the more people get vaccinated and the less that we hear about actual issues happening, not per- perceived issues or, or what could or what some groups are saying could happen, but actual issues, because a lot of our friends and family are starting to get vaccinated as well. Yeah. And that is also going to sway us and give us more confidence uh, going into this. Um, I'm, it wasn't initially, uh, initially going to talk about this, but as I see it, I got to bring it to your attention and ask you your thoughts on this. Uh, because we're looking at, at the levels of trust for COVID-19 vaccines, according to Canadians and Americans, there's some difference there. But when you look at gun control, the first thing that I'm noticing between your American and Canadian polls is how close they are in, in people feeling the same thing, which is very bizarre to me, considering the countries are so different on this issue. It, country, the, the political response has been so different, but the, um, the response from citizens has been fairly consistent fairly consistent on this one it's really interesting to see especially with what's recently happened in the US with some some recent shootings it's uh uh it's i don't know if it's heartening to see but we are it's very interesting to see the the combination it's you know as you look at this 66% of Canadians 60% of Americans believe gun control should be tighter in their country uh, virtually 66 to 60% for Americans uh, saying that there should be stricter gun controls. Uh, 10% for Canadians, 12 for Americans said there should be less. Uh, the situation should stay the same as it is now, pretty even. So I guess in the sense, it, it isn't as close as it looks here, is it? I, I think it is fairly close, um, given the perspective that we've, that we've started with. Um, but then you start going into the nuance of it, right? And then how yeah. do we change it? So banning assault rifles is 51% um, compared to, uh, you know, from a U.S. perspective. Background checks in Canada or in the U.S., they're looking at 69% think there should be background checks. So there has been a general shift over the last few years in the U.S. when it comes to um, gun control and how to manage it, especially around assault rifles. But I think if you did this survey strictly on handguns or uh uh, right. long long arms or long rifles, whatever we refer to it here in Canada, uh, you would have a, a very different perspective between the two countries. Uh, are you surprised that 66% of Canadians said there should be stricter gun control regulations, considering we have pretty strict regulations already? Uh, Canadians have usually uh, been on the more strict control side of things. That's why we yeah. had the programs that we have. That's why we have the buyback buyback problem or uh, buyback initiatives that we have i i'm not that surprised by it and i think it's fairly consistent with what we've seen in the past what i all what i do find interesting is um we still see mass dis- disruption across uh, across the country so you know you talk about 66 percent overall 
In Alberta, that number goes down to 48%. Mm. In Quebec, that number increases to 75%. So this isn't a, what does Canada think about this issue? Regionally, we have a lot of discrepancies on this, on these numbers. Good point. Uh, Dave Schultz with us, Executive Vice President of Leger. A couple of neat polls uh, from them this week, including uh, trust in vaccination for obvious reasons and just uh, America and Canada's comparison on what they all think of gun control. Uh, and as Dave points out, boy, once you break it down regionally, the numbers are a lot different. Dave, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. All right. You too. Thanks, Scott. Big announcement earlier on this morning with uh, the uh, with the federal government and the municipal governments and the premier uh, in regard to uh, a new uh, Sanofi plant, which will be opening in Toronto uh, area uh, come 2026 uh, to make vaccines. So uh, good news for the future. Uh, not much for now, but uh, again, uh, hopefully. Uh, with situations like this, we will uh, not find ourselves in the problem uh, that we do now. Here is what Premier Doug Ford had to say about it. We are now never going to have to rely on any country, any leader. We'll be self-sufficient. Today, we're taking another step forward in helping strengthen our excellent pharmaceutical and biomanufacturing sector. I'm pleased to announce that the Ontario government is investing $55 million to support Sanofi's construction of a new state-of-the-art vaccine facility. This facility will help us meet growing demand for domestic flu vaccines, specifically for populations at greater risk of influenza. The company is committing to an average of $79 million in, in the research and development in Ontario, or more than $500 million over the life of the agreement. That's a massive number, half a billion dollars. This is significant as it could lead to more critical advancements right here in our province. All right. Uh, there you have it. So uh, the uh, premier and uh, as well as uh, uh, representatives from the federal government and the municipal government uh, all uh, today quite happy to announce that uh, the new uh, Santa Fe plant uh, in North York hoping to uh, hoping to open up by uh, 2026 and uh, putting it is in a much better position for the future, although, again, still quite a few years away. Let's bring in Sable Ray, James McGill, Professor of Operations Management, McGill University, and is with us now. Sable, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, thanks, Scott, for having me. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah. So your thoughts on this announcement today? Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, it's obviously a positive development, but uh, it will not help us anything in the short term. Uh, but, uh, but, but at least we are starting to think again about vaccine manufacturing uh, in Canada, that's a positive development. That's obviously a positive development. Um, they were saying that this was more uh, designed for pandemic, uh, an influenza pandemic. Is, is that what we're going through now? Would this plant help us in a situation if we have another uh, version or event like COVID-19? Uh, so I do not think uh, it will help us necessarily in a COVID-19 like situation. But what what it might help us that if we have uh, a facility that is used to produce uh, vaccines, then which we didn't have, uh, then perhaps some of the other, if you remember when uh, Canada was uh, talking to some of these vaccine manufacturers, they didn't find any manufacturing facility in Canada suitable to manufacture their things. But if there is 
even though it is mostly for flu vaccines perhaps it can be uh, uh, if this was the case when pfizer or moderna could have produced some of the vaccine in uh, in our country actually if there was a facility like that uh, uh, now i thought we already did produce uh, influenza vaccine here yes uh, we used to produce actually in quebec also we used to produce uh, from gsk uh, glaxo but uh, no but do we not have the capacity now just to produce the basic flu vaccine we have but not much and right. these are not up to date in terms of as what we have heard from the federal ministers that they they offered for all vaccine manufacturers and none of them said that there is anything suitable for the uh, for manufacturing at this point of time yeah so this is something that could be used and correct me if i'm wrong here sable but this is something that could be used if all of a sudden we find ourselves in another covid-19 type pandemic we could buy licensing or production agreements from these other countries like a pfizer or companies like a pfizer or moderna and then produce it here possibly possibly uh, we will see but it will depend on the nature of the uh, nature of the disease also basically how how similar it is in some way to flu or how dissimilar it is so depending on that it is possible to retrofit that perhaps in that at that time to make into uh, some of this uh, uh, whatever covid uh, vaccine um is there a difference between the products that would be manufactured at this plant as opposed to a Pfizer or Moderna is this new technology uh yeah. the, of the Pfizer and Moderna type or is this the older yeah, technology no. so, like we're seeing uh, yeah so what we have again we, the details are yet to come out but it doesn't look like that these are mrna vaccines which is special specifically the technology uh, for uh a moderna and pfizer so it might that might not uh be applicable in uh, for that facility as at least what we know because sanofi is not using that particular technique basically so uh we we it might not be applicable for mrna which is used by uh pfizer and moderna so uh, sable are we not investing in old technology why are we not investing in M- uh, mrna technology which you know everybody wants the pfizer and moderna so why are we not event- investing in that future type of development uh, it's not that uh, we are not uh, 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 investing we have uh, some ideas of investment i think uh, something in vancouver which we have done uh, that but again these are this will come online in 2023 so we have something in uh, vancouver uh, which uh, uh, they have started uh, to retrofit some of the manufacturing facilities that can produce mrna actually yeah but again it will not come anytime soon so um are you concerned that uh, although this plant can be adapted for the newer technology that we're not starting there yeah so that that's 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 uh, i i guess it is a concern uh, that mrna because as you said that among these technologies the pfizer and moderna are looking like having the least amount of problems and uh, doing uh, the best so uh, perhaps there there is a reason to focus more on that particular technology but as i said there is uh, uh, already a plan to produce some mrna type of vaccines in uh, vancouver but only from 2023 as far as i remember yeah
Uh, your thoughts on how this supply chain is is moving? Um, you know, we're hearing of stops and starts, which makes any supply chain very uh, inefficient and, and, and impossible to keep manned. Um, we constantly hear that um, shipments have been bumped up or shipments have been canceled or that, you know, there's another whatever million coming uh, in May or another, you know, they've been bumped up from August to June and da 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 But nothing seems to be here now. Um, we seem yeah. to be in a scenario where, for example, there's a mass clinic at Canada's Wonderland, which is this is the sort of thing that we're seeing in the United States where people don't even get out of their cars. They just drive up and roll down the window and roll up the sleeve and they get their jab. And, and you know, over we got a long weekend coming up and, and it'd be great opportunity opportunity to keep people in their cars and get them vaccinated and it's not open because there's an inadequate supply so how at what time at what point do you see and and in this in this supply chain that we will be able to open up these mass vaccination clinics and just keep running them continuously so uh, there are two issues here uh, 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 you also mentioned uh, in your introduction uh, this one one is the supply and another is the demand because there are uh, some, uh, as you said, there are some vaccination clinics which are uh, actually are not getting enough people. So there is a problem of this vaccine hesitancy and especially with AstraZeneca issues. There is, But you are absolutely right that we are always telling it is coming, it is coming, but but we want it now because the thing is that as we are hearing a lot, the competition is now between the vari- uh, vaccines and the variants and the only way we have to we can get it through we cannot go on pushing it all the time that uh, bear it another two one month longer bear it another we have been hearing it for the last one year means like yeah. there is a limit to how much people can bear it so we need and uh, compare and when we are seeing what is happening we until now until december we were blame, we were very happy that the south of our border the situation but now it's totally flipped the south of the border is doing extremely well actually so uh, at least in vaccination so uh, so we need to have it now and we have to somehow because even in montreal i can see that there are uh, places where the capacity is not being utilized we have to find out even if it is even we understand we have to put the older people first and absolutely that's the way but if we are not utilizing we have to reduce the age so that we can utilize the facilities as much as possible rather than just keep it uh, unutilized well, you know, Sable, it seems that the AstraZeneca was used for the pharmacy program and the doctor's office program, and um, it, it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of uptake there. And, and we're going to have someone on regarding uh, from Leger regarding polling on this. You know, the, the approval for the Pfizer and the Moderna are up over 80%, whereas the AstraZeneca is falling through the basement. So uh, how can we get people to line up to take a vaccine that nobody's interested in? And, and again, I go back to my initial announcement of of uh, uh, the Safino uh, uh, discussion is that they're again there are they working on a vaccine that no one's going to want to take yeah as opposed to the new technology it is true but but uh, Scott on the other hand uh, AstraZeneca has been used UK has done well with AstraZeneca right so uh, so it's not uh, there are issues and especially this flip-flop Initially, they said AstraZeneca is bad for older people. Now they are saying that AstraZeneca is 
what for the younger people so there is this flip off and which is creating even more hesitancy and we have heard uh, that uh, people are going to the uh, vaccine centers and if they hear that uh, it is astrazeneca then they are not taking it but one of the things yeah. that could uh, the government is doing and might be a good strategy incentive they are saying that if you take astrazeneca you will get uh, appointment right now if you are uh, yeah. Pfizer or Moderna, you have to wait two weeks. So give some incentive for people to uh, uh, take AstraZeneca. There will, there are people, I think, who are still interested in getting whatever vaccines they can get. Uh, so, uh, and I think that is the most important issue. I understand there are concern about AstraZeneca. Uh, absolutely, these are serious concerns. But the most important thing is to get to as many people. Uh, arms the vaccine as possible as soon as possible. Uh, Sable, uh, the AstraZeneca was going to be the workhorse of our vaccine uh, rollout because the AstraZeneca or because the Pfizer and the Moderna are just so much more logistically complicated to yeah. distribute. So this was going to be able to go into doctors' offices and pharmacies and go up into remote areas. Now all of a sudden, there's massive hesitant, uh, hesitancy around this, and and you can't blame the public, especially when you have two government agencies, NACI and Health Canada, both yeah. giving conflict information which to me i understand they're two different bodies and thank goodness for that they operate independent uh, independently but yeah. they have solely the two of them the two of these organizations have created the most confusion out of anybody and any politician in any of this so w- what becomes the workhorse of canada's vaccine rollout it, do we wait for johnson and johnson which is one dose and it can go out and fulfill what astrazeneca because honestly i, I can't see anybody in canada being too excited to take the AstraZeneca, and I hear every single day, I've been covering this for a year, I know the benefits far exceed uh, any negative effects, but, you know, I think this this genie's out of the bottle. Yeah, I, I fully agree. By the way, I am willing to take AstraZeneca if I get it now, basically, so I am not eligible yet, but, uh, yeah. but, uh, but, but you are right, absolutely, and because of this flip-flop and because of people getting, they are even more uh, 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 and since there are choices, people are. So, as you said, the Pfizer, the Pfizer is doing extremely well. So, mass vaccination, we have to get to mass vaccination as much as possible and then see, use the Moderna as much as possible as the war cost. Uh, uh, and Johnson & Johnson, again, we have been hearing, we are only got information yesterday that it is supposed to start coming at the end of uh, April. But again, we do not know how many, when, all these things we do not know. So at this point, the workhorse seems to be Pfizer, which can be used in the mass vaccination site, and Moderna, which can perhaps be used in the pharmacies. So those are the two ones. And then try to use AstraZeneca for people who are willing as much as possible. And Because we have to utilize, because we cannot just uh, keep them unutilized uh, mm-hmm. in some way, basically. So... Sable Ray has been with us. James McGill, Professor of Operations Management, McGill University. Sable, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you very much. Everyone be safe. Bye. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.